And welcome to the podcast, the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast, the draft edition. We promised you a draft edition uh, podcast in, I think it was January, and Orlowski and I did the last podcast. And Well, Jeff is away, as, as I like to say, Jeff is away on assignment. <laughs> so filling in today, we have Anthony Mandel, Mandela, who... Uh, Packer expert? Yeah, you could say that. I'm a draft nerd. That's what I like to hear. I didn't have a lot of time this year compared to years past doing that Wendy's Big Show no. five days a week. How but. much of a draft nerd are you? Um, In my heyday, I was getting more first-round picks right than Mayock and Kuyper. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Okay. Big nerd. So you, start, you would start... I think like- I could name probably 95% of, you know, if you gave me, like, the team and the year... I could probably name about 95% of the first-round picks going back to, like, 2008. That's pretty good. So you would start, like, right after the season and diving right into yeah. the draft. Okay, yeah. that's good. Because I was I – was, I was Which a is bit weird, of... too, because I don't give a lick about college football whatsoever. Okay. Except for as it pertains to the draft. I'll go back and look at um, – I'll go back and look at whatever the top 100 and – See, I've always left it alone – because of other sports interests and whatnot. And I would usually, about two weeks before the draft, I'd start digging in. Okay, sure. now let's see what's going on. I'd kind of like, I would note stuff in that, but I really wouldn't start digging in until about two weeks. And I still do that today. And then you get about two weeks in because there's so many variables and whatnot. Sure. And plus with free agency, and this is interesting too, with the Packers splurging in the free agency, spending a lot of money, Everybody's going, okay, they fixed their defense, so they're going to go offense. We're going to go wide receiver. They're going to go tight end first round, and they didn't do that, did they? No, they didn't, and I was probably one of the people in the minority that thought that they didn't really fix their defense as much as they just stopped the bleeding with the free agent signings because even with that, they still needed a safety opposite Amos right? because he's really – he's not that center fielder type like you had in Nick Collins, Mm -hmm. and Nick Collins – had and this is a name that not a lot of people are going to remember. Nick Collins was at his best when Atari Bigby was there. Interesting. Not when Morgan Burnett was next to him. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was damn good safety the entire his entire career basically once he came on. But Amos is that physical guy, and so they need the yin and the yang to make that work. So the Amos signing is basically useless unless you go get a guy like Darnell Savage. I I think and now we're straying off here because I wasn't even thinking we're, we were going to go in this direction, but I'm kind of happy. It we is are. then and now. Then and now that I think the Packers get a Super Bowl if he doesn't get hurt, doesn't he? Yeah, they might get another one. Maybe 2014. Maybe we don't have the collapse in Seattle. Same with Finley. Yeah. If those two guys are right in Seattle, yeah, I think you're probably right because then that's Nick Collins ranging deep on Doug Baldwin instead of Tremont Williams. Right. And you maybe have a better memory than me. I believe Charles Woodson was still with the – no, Charles Woodson no, was gone, gone that year. Yeah. So um, all the more reason you need Nick uh, Collins in that situation. I, I think the Nick Collins injury and that really, uh, you know, when you heard about it, it, it brought back memories of uh, – I uh, forget, Tim uh, – I want to say Tim Harris, but it wasn't. I'm having a brain fart. The guy who basically broke his neck uh, on Monday Night Football – Oh, and he was the one bright star. I was star. too young for that. Tim, uh, he was a coach. Uh, I'll think yeah. of it in a second. But And that, that really set back. But I think the Nick Collins injury 
really, really set. The, and I don't think it's ever really recovered. No, he was part of that. The way he came on, they were building that defense almost in a yep. way around him because he was there before Clay and yes. before B.J. Raji. They were trying to figure out, all right, we got Nick Collins. Um, you know, we have Charles Woodson. He's an older guy. He's not necessarily the young in-house nucleus of our defense. Let's see what we can get going around this Nick Collins kid because he seems pretty special. And real quick before it gets out of sight, out of mind for me, Jermichael Finley hurt too on that team that collapsed yeah. in Seattle. If he takes that 53rd roster spot, Brandon Bostick's probably not on the team. Oh, that that hurts now. Just right? That Just hurts. another domino effect. You know, there's a lot of if come maybes in that situation, but um yeah, just I think you might be on to something, Steve, that that if Nick Collins doesn't get hurt, they, they probably he probably does give them that oomph. Because I really can't think, you know, that was basically a hole. You had Morgan Burnett, you moved Charles Woodson back there on the tail end of his career in Green Bay. And then once he was gone, it was just an endless cycle. It was MD Jennings, it was Jerron McMillan, it was Ha Clinton Dix, who had that flash in a pan, but you never really found that right complimentary piece on the back end of the defensive secondary. It was Tim Lewis I was thinking of. Tim Lewis. He played with our, our co-worker, Gary Ellerson, and he uh, yeah, was on Monday Night Football. He collided with Willie Galt, and he had the dreaded uh, narrow, narrowing of the uh, spinal canal, uh, spinal yeah. stenosis. And uh, it was one of those, you know, there's some players that have played with it, and I think there is a way – of, of correcting it now that's still pretty risky. But, yeah, Tim Lewis was, was a guy that was a shame because he was the one really lone bright spot on that. I don't know. You know Packers don't go to a Super Bowl because he's playing. But it would have been interesting to see how much better. they, they, they he, he was a really, really good cornerback. But, uh, yeah, the Nick Collins thing I think is very underrated in, in how much that set the Packers' defense back. It really has. Yeah. But let's talk about now, the Packers draft. Uh, well, let's. Uh, should we just? This is interesting. I guess we should go through the briefly. We'll run through this. So we knew Kyler Murray. Now, definitely, boomer bus guy. Yeah, and and it just makes sense with Arizona because I mean, you're, you, who who else picks quarterback quarterback? Yeah, they they proved in spectacular primetime Thursday night fashion why they're uh, a miserable organization. That, as far as I know, I mean, they haven't won a championship of any sort, I think, since 47. Right, right. 47. And, and they were, and then and then it comes <laughs> That's the longest after. drought of any team in the NFL. Even worse than the Lions. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And, and then, and then the, the news comes out that, they didn't start shopping uh, Rosen until after the pick. Yeah. As, like, as if well, they weren't sure they were going to get him. I, I, you just, and that's, okay, that's the Cardinals. You just go, okay, whatever. And Nick Bosa, uh, the Raiders, or the Jets, Quinn and Williams. Raiders, Clean Farrell, they wanted that guy. They wanted, he was their uh, guy. And, and you see what they're doing. And you know what? When you're rebuilding like that, the, you know, as, as they were saying, they want their cornerstone guys. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, because they have so many picks. Yeah, and, and there's so much. Play to it do. safe a little bit. Get the guys. Exactly. 
Get the guys that you know are going to – Exactly. You know what reason, you're getting with them. You know what you're getting. It's a exactly. solid pick. Which uh, is really a lot more than I expected because just like I mentioned with the Cardinals, this whole concept of like the – you fire Jack Del Rio who was more successful than anybody you had there for like the previous 15 years and you basically do away with that whole regime. You hire Mike Mayock who's never worked in an NFL front office to be the GM. It's like they're trying to go Hollywood for this move to Las Vegas. I just assume that everything they touch is just going to rot. I don't but think they so. they made good picks. I don't th- I I I think Gruden's running the show. So they wanted to bring That's in a guy. That's even more scary. They 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 he they wanted to bring in a guy who is going to be able to work with them and and can say, you know, I I can work with Gruden and another media guy. And he's a he's a but he's a personnel guy. Right. You know, and and he so it I you know they're comfortable with each other, fine. I you know I'm like okay, it, it's they're gonna be they they have to be improved. They will show improvement. I just love really, the really I just love worse. the paranoia though. Before the week before, you heard the stories about the paranoia and everything. Sure, that they and were gonna go quarterback that's at so four. Raiders. It I've is been so hearing Raiders. that since I was a little kid about how all this paranoia with Al Davis and it just it just felt good that they were still paranoid. Okay, and then you have okay Devin White. Okay, strong good pick Tampa Bay. Uh, Daniel Jones. Yes, I'm like okay, fine. I thought that's good news for the Packers because when they made that pick, you're thinking okay now one of these guys might be able to drop, and then uh, Josh Allen, Kentucky. Okay, and then you saw oh. Hawkinson to Detroit. Everybody's saying about that now. Me personally, and I, I've always thought this. Going back to Bubba Franks and all the other guys they drafted, I don't like drafting tight ends in the first round. I don't either. My draft philosophy personally is you got to beef up in round one. Mm-hmm. Offensive line, defensive line. In today's NFL, front seven and edge rusher. If they're an outside linebacker, I guess that fits the bill. But you need guys that are difference makers at the point of attack. Because, as we all know, that's every football play starts at the line of scrimmage. If you win that battle, everyone else around you gets better. You can't build a roster from the outside in. So just like you know, you were saying, Steve, I think it, it doesn't make sense to draft a tight end. Even in today's NFL, right. where tight ends are huge weapons, I just don't think it makes sense because you, you, know, you have five guys there to protect the quarterback. You can throw out endless combinations, no tight ends, five tight ends. Well, I guess that wouldn't really be logical. But five receivers, sure. two tight ends, two running backs. There's all sorts of combinations, but you have to have five offensive linemen every play no matter what. You can't scheme those guys out. Especially if you have a good quarterback. Yeah, you'll throw them open. Well, here's the deal. You know, they, they talk about Montana and Young, but this is one thing they don't talk about back then. It was 28 teams, not 32. And you think, eh, it's only four more teams. That makes a big difference when you're talking about a position like quarterback. It really yeah. does. And we've seen it for over the last how many uh, quarterback t- or good teams have really suffered because they haven't had a good quarterback. Yeah. But then these are the, the, the next two picks that hurt. Because there was talk, we were talking about, and you guys were talking about on the big show, and that Ed Oliver, could he mm-hmm. drop to that 12 spot? And then the other one who I thought would have been perfect was Devin Bush. Sure. But the Steelers made the move. They did. And criticize. They know what they are. They know what they want. And they 
And I thought, you know, this is the guy they wanted. I was thinking if there's a guy that the Packers were going to get, the Packers would have been the one that maybe leapfrogged to that 10 spot mm -hmm. to get Devin Bush. However, now in hindsight, we hear, okay, Jonah Williams. Okay, that oh, could have been a guy. Him. Yeah, that could have been a guy. <laughs> and then Rashawn Gary. There he is. And how pissed were you when they made that pick? I wasn't pissed. I was just underwhelmed. I was pissed. Explain. But I think because you don't. I don't like boomer bust guys because whenever the Packers have done that in the past, they've always been bust. But the other thing was, and then when you, I think they were trying to trade out of that spot. Yeah. They probably I, just didn't get a lot of suitors because all those blue chip guys just went. I think Jonah Williams you, was the last guy. If you look at the if the, and it makes sense if you look at the picks that follow, they make sense because I I think Wilkins, I think the Dolphins were would have picked uh Wilkins. The 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 one that they've been the, the draft Knicks have been have been kind of criticized as a bit of a reach is the is the Lindstrom pick. To yeah, the Falcons. I had never heard of that guy. But it, usually, it, when they don't have a highlight montage ready for a guy in the first round, not a good he sign. He was projected early second round. That yeah, not a good much. sign of your value that they don't have anything ready for you. The Haskin picks that 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 makes sense for the Raiders, obviously, and then the Burns pick. That was it, you know some people were talking about he could be maybe going to the to the Packers and that the Dexter Lawrence, uh, Garrett Bradbury, who. Another thing, I always heard you don't pick centers in the first round either. Sure. And so I'm like, okay, good job, Vikings. So, and then Noah Fant going to the Broncos, and that was another pick. I'm glad the Packers didn't draft Noah Fant, but I think they were hoping to draft down. And then the surprise is with drafting up. Then you're thinking, oh, they're drafting up. That scared me. Did it scare you too? Uh, I did. I kind of took a pause. I was a little bit numb at first, and then I just I waited for the pick to come in because I was looking at the teams that were around them, specifically the teams that were following, and I was playing these disaster scenarios through my mind of they could that next team could use a quarterback. Please tell me they're not doing that. Please yeah, tell me they're not doing right. that. Um, and then they didn't do that. And they so and this pick I liked a lot better. Because it it it's it's a make sense pick, and that's Darnell Savage from Maryland, uh, speed, which is the, it it's the thing you need on a team, and th and this is one thing the Packers defense has been lacking for so many years now mm -hmm. is the lack of speed, and you've seen it, and I and I think it's a perfect complement to uh, to uh, Amos, who they got in a free agency, isn't it? I agree wholeheartedly, and I think the other thing, and we mentioned this with a lot of our uh, experts that we went around the horn with after the draft, the dude, aside from being fast, is just a really good football player. He likes contact. He can hit. He can play the ball. A lot of times when you watch the tape on this guy, and part of it is his speed, but part of it is good judgment and football IQ too, he can be so far away from a play and bait a quarterback and get right in there. And that's something, too. And so I think what a lot of it, what it does also, is it buys Mike Pettin a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. Because he can play free safety. He can play nickel. He can, depending on the matchup, he's got the athleticism to defend on the outside. And then that also buys you a little bit of freedom, not just with him, but with Tremont Williams. 
because I could definitely see a scenario in which, you know, maybe you're trying to save the old man's legs a little bit throughout the season. And let's just say you're running just a straight three, four, two corners, two safeties. Maybe you keep Savage on the field for that. And then when you bring in a nickel package, he bumps down to that nickel defender and you bring Tremont Williams on the field, basically center field the thing and just drop sure. back and bring Amos up the middle. Um, so I can see a lot of ways and there's really everyone that we had on every review we read, every pre-draft grade that we saw on this guy. The only bad thing anyone had to say about Darnell Savage was his size. But we've seen time and time again, guys basically say to hell with that. Russell Wilson, London Fletcher, um, Bob Sanders was undersized and that eventually caught up with him, but he got the Colts a Super Bowl ring. Right. So I don't think anybody's mad that Bob Sanders was small. He still played 10 really good years in the NFL or whatever it was. Um, Patrick Willis wasn't a huge guy. Um, like Nobody knocked his size, but he wasn't a big guy. He wasn't a thumper. There's time and time again, or Mark Tauscher's arms were too short, or you know Brian Bulaga's arms were too short. You know, people get caught up in, in these guys, in their physicality, the things you can't change about them. But at the end of the day, he's a freak athlete, and he's a really good football player. And he showed that at his size, he's a really good football player. So I don't, you know, if the only bad thing you can say about the guy is that he's apparently too small, that makes me feel a lot better than Rashawn Gary, for example, who's just a physical freak. But, man, he only has one move, and we don't know about his exactly. shoulder, and we don't right. know about this, we don't know about that. Those are the kind of guys I don't like. That's a Justin Harrell pick. Right, because those are, you know, when when you're looking at size and that, well, he's six foot. Well, okay, well, if he he's plays. six foot two and that two inches, what does that? Is that a huge difference? No, it's not. I'm not a GM. I don't know how right. they weight those and things, was, but people were talking about that too with the linebackers, Devin Bush and Devin White. And they were, I, don't even, I don't even remember which guy it was. Um, I think they were saying White. Well, White's got the size advantage, so I went and looked him up. One guy's an inch taller than the other, and the other one's five pounds heavier. Who cares? That, right. Who cares? If you can play football, you can play football. If you're athletic, you're athletic. I just, eh. So, yeah, between the first two picks for me in the first round, I loved the Darnell Savage pick once I found out who he was because I really wasn't quite sure. Because it wasn't on the first-round radar for a lot of guys. Gary made me a little bit nervous, but because they had two first-round picks, I think it softened the blow in terms of, my panic meter. Well, when, when I think of sizes, you know, and oh, he's a little short, little this, I was thinking of Zach Thomas is, I think, the, yeah. the epitome of that. Because there's a guy who – a good did, career. Who, yeah, and he was he was, a, he was short, but he was stocky. But the, the intangibles that he had was that he had the speed and he had the football knack. He, 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 he understood the game, which I think is so important. Then that's what the, the Rashawn Gary kind of – pick kind of scares me because I don't I'm not hearing he has a feel for the game I could find I think a lot longer list of guys that didn't make it in the NFL who were freak athletes but didn't quite understand the game as opposed to guys who have great football IQs and maybe aren't the best athletes I mean the list goes on Aaron Maben, Vernon Golston there all sorts of combine freaks that are pass rushers and you look at a guy like well Keep it in house a little bit. Clay Matthews. This is what Daniel, first round pick. Daniel Jeremiah said about him before the draft. Because I kind of like S- Savage. Uh, no, or uh, Gary. Gary. Okay. There's a lot of teams interested to see where Gary ends up going. It wouldn't shock me if he went in the top six, 
or if you would fall towards the bottom of the first round. He goes to a team with a glaring need off the edge, and he had them. And most most uh, draft Knicks had him going to the Seahawks. So, you know, and and I, I feel I do feel a bit better about the pick, even though. If you listen to Bob McGinn when he was on a big show, I'm like, oh, my He keeps God. it real, though. Yeah. I mean, and he does I not care that. about can, your feelings. I can really see that. But the, <laughs> the thing that makes me feel better overall is the rest of the picks. So we, if we keep going, the El- Elgin Jenkins. Yes. Now, it's interesting. If you look at Daniel Jeremiah's pre-draft, he had Rashawn Gary at 21, he had Jenkins 22 mm. in the first round. So uh, this is what he wrote about Jenkins. I believe the Ravens will try to trade back and recoup the 2019 second-round draft pick, blah, 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 blah. It's easy to envision Baltimore continue to reinforce the old line with a player like Jenkins. So he was highly rated. He was one of these guys that did slip, So and he addressed a need. Now, I, I always get a kick out of the You know, Goodenkiss is saying, oh, no best player best player available this and that every pick they had was a need wasn't it yeah it was <laughs> and i started to get a little bit confused as it went on cuz there were times that it seemed like need right and then there were times and we're going to get to this guy next where in my opinion there is zero need um and then you go and get a guy who was best player available on a lot of people's boards but i don't think in really fits into the offense at all uh, but I like that? the Elton Jenkins pick. I, I do, too. Are you talking about the Jace? I am talking about Jace. He's highly regarded. And mm-hmm. I like picking a I like picking a tight end in the third round. Yeah, it's a good value spot. It's a good, and that's where I think you should pick a tight end. Yeah. Not in the first round. Or later. Not in a top eight pick, you know, not a top eight pick either. Yeah. I think so, Jermichael Finley was a third round pick. Yeah. And you look around the league, there's a lot of very Ronkowski good. Ronkowski was a second round pick. Yeah. Graham was undrafted. Gates was undrafted. You don't, you know, it's you really don't need to get a guy Bubba, in the first round. Bubba Franks. Yeah. Just don't like first round uh, tight ends. So I, I, I like to pick. I don't. Why? Everything that we heard, all the film that we watched, um, specifically we have a guy on the big show, Ben Fennell, does outstanding work for the athletic and for NFL Network um, watching film on people. Matt LaFleur, every offense, and follow his coaching tree. So last year in Tennessee. Okay. That offense was relatively successful, built around the run, with blocking tight ends that were open for an option maybe in a seam or in the flat. He doesn't run his tight ends vertical. Footnote. Delaney Walker got hurt. That makes sense with the Mercedes Lewis resigning, which I think surprised people. Yes. But when you mention that, it makes sense now, doesn't it? Yes. Um. And then you, you follow the progression back. So before that, he was in Los Angeles with the Rams, right? Um, aside from Tyler Higby, who is far from a household name, and I think safe to say far from a, quote, dynamic, stretch-the-field, vertical threat weapon of an offense, he's just the tight end. Um, they don't really use a tight end there either. When he was in Atlanta before that, uh, Levine Toi Lolo, I think, was the Tui tight Lolo, end. yeah. Tony Gonzalez was gone at that point. Before that, when he was with uh, the Redskins as like an offensive assistant, um, I think technically Jordan Reed was there, but he was constantly hurt. That offense was all Alfred Morris and uh, uh, Ryan Terrain, I think, might have been there at that time. Tim Hightower, I think, might have been there at that time. But don't forget, 
part of the reason why he was brought in, though, is is the evolutionary process sure. of his offense. Sure. So his offense, we don't want his that offense that he had the last five years. We want it to progress because that's how we got into this position the last five years is the stagnant, you know, the being the offense being so stagnant and guys just keying up on all the routes. Sure, but I think that's part of, and this is part of why I don't like the Sternberger pick is that Matt Lafleur's offense is a true blue run first, not to set up the pass but to disguise the pass so that you go out there and personnel that, you know, it might be a two tight end set but it's the route combinations and things of that nature. And he just simply, his offense isn't built around going vertical because that doesn't work in today's NFL anymore. You have to have such a special talent at tight end. When you really think about it, people, you know, they talk about this tight end craze with stretching the field as if the entire NFL was doing it. But it wasn't. It was the Patriots because they had Rob Gronkowski as a talent. It was the Saints for that moment in time because they had Jimmy Graham as a talent. As soon as Jimmy Graham was gone in New Orleans, that offense kept rolling. They just stopped going to the tight end because they didn't have the weapon. You can't, with that with a tight end, I don't think, in today's NFL, you can't route those guys open because they aren't as good of athletes unless you get an exceptionally special athlete like Rob Gronkowski. So I just don't think you build an offense around that kind of tight end anymore. So all, everything that we talked, everyone we talked to, all the film we watched, he needed guys that had sure hands, that were willing blockers and were athletic enough to be considered a threat in the passing game. Um, so basically, Richard Rodgers. It's the perfect, perfect, he really is on paper, just about the perfect tight end for a Matt LaFleur offense. That's interesting. So I just don't see, you know, people were talking about, well, maybe that, you know, they have him, they drafted him as a tight end, but he's so athletic that they're really going to use him like a slot receiver, like he's not going to line up on the end of the offensive line. And, at that point, I'm like, why are you wasting your time? Because you have Devontae Adams and Geronimo Allison was poised for a big year last year before he got hurt. Here's an article. And Valdez Scantling, and the list goes on. Here's an article. Uh-oh. Jay Sternberger could be the Patriots' ideal Gronk replacement. Hmm. So, I, just don't, I just don't see it. Sternberger comes to the NFL with playmaking ability at tight end. That's a Colts story that was planted. So, I, I we'll we'll see. I mean, at the, at that point, I you know it's, it's I'm splitting hairs because you know at the maybe third, he was the best player available. Then. That's what I think. I think yeah. he was the best player available, and he didn't really fit a need. And the the reason I say need is he still seems so raw, and there was still there was still other talent on the board that you could have needed. And based on what they were going, they kept like you were saying, they kept drafting for need as opposed to best player available to that point. And I just the way I see it is. Coming in day one, Darnell Savage Jr. is in the mix to be a starter, right? And Rashawn Gary, maybe not so much. But he's going to be a rotation guy. I mean, he's right, going to see a lot of snaps. With the tight end, let, let's think about this. You can have five specialists on the field at offense at any point. Cause you have to have five linemen. You have to have a quarterback. So you can have five specialists, right? But you got your, your number one tight end gets hurt a lot. Right. And it's getting older. Right. But so there's five spots left. We know that barring injury, for sure, Devontae Adams is going to be one of them. We know that for sure, based on everything we know about Matt LaFleur and how he likes to run an offense in terms of disguising looks, you at the very least have to have a running back on the field. So there's three spots left. 
Jimmy Graham's ahead of him on the depth chart. Mercedes Lewis is ahead of him on the depth chart. And honestly, I think Robert Tanyan probably is from day one, too. I like him. So already he he's so already Sternberger is out of the picture, assuming that they run three tight ends. And that doesn't even include trying to fight for targets with Geronimo Allison, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown. Um, and they still seem to think that Jamon Moore can put something together. So, like, I understood is, Rashawn Gary's path to getting on the field year one. I understood Darnell Savage Jr.'s path to getting on the field year one. I understood Elton Jenkins' path to getting on the field year one because we know that it's all but a guarantee that you're going to miss at least one game from Bulaga, at least one game uh, from – or maybe not a game, but time in-game from David Bakhtiari. And Lindsley's a little bit of an undersized center. He's missed time. And they had no depth on that offensive line. I don't, I can't, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out how in year one Jay Sternberger gets on the field. Well, I just, going back to, I just don't think he's more, ready. Because I'm thinking, he, he's the new Trevor Davis, right? Uh, I hope he's not that bad. Well, an improved Trevor Davis. How's that? Okay. I mean, he, he's, he should be our kick return guy. Okay, sure. Even though we don't have kick returns anymore. What if Savage now. Jr. returns kicks? I don't like that. No? I don't like that. Maybe late in the year. Because Randall Cobb returned kicks his rookie year. He did. But I think he's too valuable, and I think you only – that's one of those spots where you do it at the towards the end of the year. It's a pivotal game. It's third quarter, and you really need a spark. Then you throw him out there. But you have him practice. You have him, you have him you know, ca- catching – catching punts all the time so he's ready to go but you you know you just need only when you need them sure because we saw that how many times we saw that a couple times at with woodson at the end of his career with with the packers yeah sometimes they throw him out there if they needed it so i really can't for the life of me think of any time the packers have had a dynamic kick returner come on randall cobb housed that one against new orleans but really when have they ever had a guy that you thought this guy can make a play happen. Every punt return, it seems like they go Super east. Bowl thirty-one. They go east-west. Okay, when I was three, we're really we're really digging into the treasure chest there. It's been twenty-five years. Well, that's the last time the Packers had a good special teams coach, too. There you go. So, um, and then Philip Epps. Gotta go back to mid eighties. Yeah, and then the great who my dad used to talk about is uh, Trevor uh, Trevor Williams. Uh, you tell to, me, man. I was uh, not alive. Williams, Trevor. Yeah, no. Tra- th- he did the three in one game. Um, I'll think of it in a second. But okay, Kingsbury. Kingsbury KK. KK. Kingsley right? Kiki. Kiki. Texas. Another Texas A&M guy. Yeah. Supposed to be the steal of the draft. Yeah. I have in my notes here. Where is it here? Uh, I got a note here. But what what did you think of that pick? That's a Uh, neat pick. Once we got later in the draft, we were starting to get into the territory of, I really don't know anything about these guys. I was watching um, all three days of the draft. For some portion, I watched. Yes. Um, And so I was watching when the Kiki pick came in. We were on the air. Oh, Oh, that's we're, right. You had we live, got to, we live got to that Packers on pick coverage on the final inspection show every and Saturday. It was, uh, we were two. scrambling, scrambling around. Who, okay, who is this? Okay, okay. See, I should have had you. I, we should have just called you right away. The uh, the thing that I liked about it was 
that, again, because now you're getting into, you know, rounds four, five, six, seven. This is where you start considering, I think, boomer bust prospects because most of those guys, five years from now, not in the NFL. Realistically, but that's where a lot of these teams are built, though. That's what I'm saying, though, because when you gamble and you hit, then you look like a genius. And that's also the modern roster that we're seeing. Because Mm -hmm. guess who was doing? Guess who are the teams that really do this a lot? Patriots. The Rams were doing this because the the rosters with the salaries are so top heavy now. Yeah, where you're gonna have your five six guys. And then you have to really fill out the rest of the it's almost it's kinda of like the NBA rosters now. And part of this is and I, I hate Bill Belichick, but I can appreciate as a general manager the man's genius. He throws away his fifth, fourth, sixth round picks on anybody like they're nothing because he knows he can recoup them so easily on draft day. Mm-hmm. Look at the Seahawks. That, yes. And when you get to those later rounds like we're talking about, it becomes all about volume and getting bodies in there of guys realistically that are probably going to be special teams or one trick ponies at the start of their career where you know it's kind of you know whatever hey line up get quarterback and that's kind of the kind of guy i think they have in kingsley kiki right now with the physical potential to turn into something bigger what i liked about him too is as they were saying when he was at texas a&m is that he was playing he was lining up all over he was outside the tackles he was over the center he was in the he was in the a gap the b gap he was all over the place, and he was able to really easily modify his body. And I saw an article uh, earlier this week that with that pick kind of establishing a trend for Brian Gutekunst in terms of how he's trying to build this thing, and he might have been the nail in the coffin for Mike Daniels' Packer career. They, uh, I think we gonna, are going to go to that in just a moment. That's I think they'll let him topic. run out his contract. I want to talk about that. But, I thought that was very interesting. There's some notes on that. But I the, the pick I loved was the Dexter Williams pick. Yeah. I and thought I, I was surprised he fell as far as he did, and then when he was there, I'm so happy that they grabbed him. That, and that's exactly what I was thinking because there's – I wouldn't say, obviously, because there's not a pedigree. He didn't go in the first round. There's not a, a huge degree of um, household name recognition. But my ears perked up. I was like, I think I've heard of that guy. Yeah. What is, is round six? What what is this guy doing in round six? Right. Like, you know, did he, you know, was he one of these guys that was beating up his girlfriend or getting a DUI or what? Like, what's up with this guy? And for whatever reason, he fell. And he then when I realized that, I just thought early on, but yeah. he corrected him. And his is, you know, he had some issues early on in Notre Dame, and those problems were and everybody talks glowingly about him and then there's a situation his mom has a terminal illness but you know she's got time left but it's one of these situations where you know she doesn't have a lot of time left apparently but she plans on moving to green bay with them there's a lot of support there and it, it's a really good story i'm not a notre dame fanboy or anything like that yeah, i mean quite the opposite but I was really, really, really happy that they drafted him. It'll be exciting to see. I, you know, I was did not think the Packers needed to draft a wide receiver high like a lot, or a lot of people were thinking about going in the first couple of rounds getting a running back. But I think this is an excellent, excellent pick. Excellent it, value. It's a comp, it it complements the other two backs that we have right now, who I think Jones and, and Williams are, are really a strong one-two punch. And having that third back is really, really good insurance because 
guys get dinged up, especially we see with Jones. He's just one of these guys that is because of his mm-hmm. size and that. And it's today's NFL. Yeah, the, there's not too many. There's not too many tailbacks in the league that can go 16 games. Yeah, and you've seen you mentioned it with the Patriots. Um, the Rams, I think, last year were a good example. You you have to have um, that blue chip talent on your starting on your starting front, but ultimately, you know, teams will find. And when the uh, Packers played the Patriots, Bill Belichick made it known, if you do have a weakness, whether it be in the second string or the first string, a team will find it and exploit it. So if you have that depth and you can rotate warm bodies in and out, that really does cover your ass a lot. And like I was saying before, with Matt LaFleur and the tight ends, if you look at those same offenses, well, that uh, game in, uh, or the offense in Tennessee, Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis. And then you saw it with the Rams this year. It was Todd Gurley, and it was C.J. Anderson. And before that in Atlanta, it was Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. They they don't use a feature bell cow back, really. They rotate guys in and out that have somewhat of a similar skill set, but depending on the down and distance, they rotate these guys in and out, keep them fresh. Um, and so I think it's a great pick because there's no way this was going to work with just the two running backs. That's why so many people were – very critical of the Saquon Barkley pick at four last year. Oh, but I think he's because, a baller. Yeah, he is a baller. That's Hall of Fame. It, it's I don't know how you the, pass on Hall running, of Fame. The running back position, though, I mean, he has to, you know, it, it's a complete, you need the complete team. We've heard all the, you know, you need, it's all three special teams, defense, offense, all that. But, I mean, it, it's like, uh, yeah, I can see it, but next year could be game three. He could be out for the year, though. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. With and it, and if he does get hurt, is he the same? Yeah, that's uh, okay. We do I have found, a lot of eggs in that basket. I found the Kingsley KK Kiki Kiki Kiki. Kiki. It's confusing for me because there's a championship world championship driver named KK Rosberg, same spelling. Ah, so he was uh. Norwegian. All right. Uh, from Michael Renner, Pro Football Focus, I read this. Uh, Kiki played a tad out of position at Texas A&M where he took 62% of his snaps lined up over the uh, over over or outside the tackle. At 288 pounds, he realistically translates to the best three technique or interior rusher at the next level. In that role, he dominated at the senior bowl practices in Mobile and had the highest win rate and highest grade among a defensive linemen in attendance on uh, in the one-on-ones. So I, I like that pick. He did have a really good senior bowl. Um, I just, oh, there was some, you, you, when you mentioned Saquon Barkley, I think running backs, really, it's just my philosophy towards every specialist position on the offense, whether it's a tight end, a running back, a receiver, you just you can't throw all those eggs in that basket. They're so interchangeable. They get banged up so easily. I just I don't think you can build an offense around, for example, the way you may be used to. You could build an offense around Terrell Owens. You can't do that anymore. No. You used to be able to build an offense around Jamal Lewis. You can't do that anymore. You have to. It's all about variety and multiple looks. So, like you were saying, and I guess now you're maybe swaying me a little bit on Saquon Barkley. You really just got to have so many looks and so many guys that can do it. It's not about having just one guy that can take over because they'll find a way to take him away from you. And they were able to do that. Some teams were able to do that, and 
it, it once again goes towards where I, I, I really don't – I see this with the Bears. It's going to be – I I think the Bears are going to get some reality because you're playing a fifth-place schedule, which the, the Giants were doing. So they were playing not the best defenses. I'm not saying he's not – he's very, very talented, but I'm just saying for the teams that were able to scheme against Barkley, mm-hmm. you know, it was – there was there were times where he, he looked at times uh, mortal. Yeah. So. Uh, this is a this is a point you know we're, we were talking about where it's interesting about um sorry I'm just losing again oh here uh Mike Daniels we're talking about Daniels and you were saying that he might be on the way out there uh Tom Silverstein of the Journal had a very interesting I don't know if you saw that piece yeah Did you see that yeah about. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, the athletic traits of the free agents with Preston Smith, Zadaria Smith, and also the draft picks of Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Kiki were a big men with length and power and speed. And that's not what Mike Daniels has. It he's is kind not. Of a, but he's one of these guys he has been able to overcome that, and that's kind of where Another example of a little to, guy that made it work. Exactly. So it's interesting. Do you well not only well just because I don't think they can afford him at this point mm-hmm. because there's so many other gaps they want to fill. But could could he be on the way out? I I mean I love Mike Daniels. Everybody does. I, he's a very likable guy. He's a good football player. Um, he's, Seems to keep things clean off the field, and there's not much more I can ask for. Um, but I think if there was ever a time and a position that he was expendable, it is now. And he's going into the last year of his deal. So um, you saw Ted Thompson constantly let guys just walk out the door. Didn't get anything for him. And I think, you know, Clay, in terms of Brian Gutekunst, I really don't think there was a lot of trade value for Clay Matthews, and I really do think that they were going to consider a way to bring him back based on what were, the yeah, free agent market offered. I think they were already in-house decided that they were moved on from Randall Cobb, but I don't think there was any market for Randall Cobb, maybe a sixth-round pick. And so same thing, if you thought maybe if there was a chance you'd get the guy to come back on a really cheap deal, you might take your chances with that. But Mike Daniels is interesting because this guy is a it's official. He is a Pro Bowl player. He's not it's not like he's super old. He's gonna be turning 30 this season. So there's plenty of life left in him. And I think you could probably get, if you find the right team, you could probably get like a third or fourth round pick for Mike Daniels. Clear yourself eight million dollars in cap space. Start the clock on some of these younger guys. Um and I I really do think or, they're in a position depth wise that he's expendable because I think Dean Lowry's a better football player than people give him credit for. I think Tyler Lancaster looked good last year. I think Montrevious Adam looked pretty good last year. Um, and I think Kingsley Kiki can be a pretty good player. And all these guys coming into, with the exception of the rookie, a second year with Mike Pettin. And uh, I saw a depth chart, um, one of those way-too-early depth charts. It looks like, because I think we all assumed that um, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith would be coming off the edge simultaneously as the as the, the classic three four outside linebackers, but that was not the case in one depth chart I saw, in which Zadarius Smith had his hand in the dirt 
I think we're going to see a lot of – So it was I, the Smiths and Kyler Fackrell on the field. We're going to see Petten run the defense that he wants to run. Which I love. Right. I was very happy when they brought him back. It, it Not only from – well, I, I liked it from the continuity point mm-hmm. of view. I like that, and it, it's – he's very – he comes very well regarded, and I didn't like the idea of just letting him go, well, because there's a new regime. And I think he's a, he's a perfect complement to the head coach because you have the it's a nice contrast, and we've seen this more and more, especially in L.A., where you have the older defensive coordinator with the young head coach, and it's always good because Patton was a coach. A lot yeah. of people forget about and that. And I, I think he was unjustly fired in Cleveland because, rightfully so, well, he did not yeah, want to was... play Johnny Manziel. Because yeah, right. it turns out that dude couldn't play. That was just a mess. Um, so he, but I the mean, other... Bill, they don't forget. They fired Bill Belichick, too. So Yeah, they did. <laughs> the other thing with Mike Pettin, too, is we talked about guys um, like Matt Mike, Mike McCarthy got stuck in his ways. Didn't change with the times. That didn't work out. Matt LaFleur seems to be a younger guy who's very open and receptive to new information, learning more about the game, finding new ways to innovate and succeed in the game. Mike Pettin is a little bit like that on defense. He came from that Rex Ryan coaching mm-hmm. tree. We've seen Rex Ryan and his type have been cast asunder by the NFL, those guys that run that hard-nosed 3-4 defense that really is all about just getting after it and physicality and really – doesn't take into consideration the amount of finesse and athleticism it takes um, in nickel and dime coverages and sometimes three safeties and that use of that hybrid safety inside linebacker. Mike Pettin's been rolling everywhere he's gone Mm -hmm. since he left Rex Ryan. So he's kind of like that, I think. Kind of like Matt LaFleur, that same cloth of, you know, I like to win and I try to figure out how to adapt a defense to do that in today's game. He doesn't have just a philosophy of it's my way or the highway. That's not Mike Pettin. This has been a lot of fun today. We Let's just take care of some uh, little tidbits of information. Oh, getting back, uh, do you think they could franchise him? Daniels? Yeah, Daniels. Um, for Put the franchise tag on him, especially if you're making that mm. run. Let's say everything works out good this year. Sure, and, he, and you've kept ten, him on. You didn't trade six, him. Even though I have him at 9-7. and seven. But let's say they go 10-6, and six, wild card. And it kind of mirrors 2009 a bit. Yeah, you, know, you could see the momentum starting to build in 2009. Hey, we got something going here. The games they're losing, they're losing close. But you go, hmm, next year? So do you maybe do the franchise take? Which one? When was the last time they had to? Fra- I they couldn't tell very you. Very rarely. Have they're used not a that. team that likes to do that. No. I don't think they will. Only because of the nature of the contract, so that you're, you know, you're basically getting like the average value of the top five players at your position. Um, and think about some of the guys that, from a collective bargaining position, a leverage position in terms of Daniels classifying his position. That's going to include that Aaron Donald he's not contract, a top five. right? And that's I was just and thinking I, about that. So there's going to be yeah. big money, and I don't think he's not a top five player. He's top ten in a good year. Yeah, he's top ten in a good year. But is he going to have a good year? And is he going to continue to have good years? So I just don't know. And when you think about that tag, I believe David Bakhtiari has a contract coming up. He might be the best left tackle in football when he's healthy. That might be where you want to use the franchise tag. But you want to you want to you want to lock him, him up. But yeah. if push comes to shove, I think they might want to keep that tag open for Bakhtiari because that's a situation where the tag 
makes sense because it's a top five player or close enough. And it, it really buys you because you don't have the depth there. And that's a super premium position in today's NFL. So I think they might use it uh, for Bakhtiari. I think you want to, you want to keep Aaron happy. Yeah. And I, there's a comfort level with those two. And I think that's why they didn't do the Drew Locke thing. Um, I thought the Packers. Make, I, it, I, it made sense. I was a Drew Locke fan. I thought the Broncos, It fantastic where they got him. I really liked him. I liked him and then the kid from Auburn. And for him hmm. going to the Patriots, I, really, I, thought, I thought the Packers should have drafted maybe him. Sure. And it's not an aggressive pick, but you can't. I think right now, um, what's his name? The kid from Auburn. I always forget his I'm name. I'm blanking. Uh, but accurate. I, I just think he's not going to be a superstar, but I think there there is a chance he, he can be a starter in this league. And when the Patriots grabbed him, I go, that makes sense because I think he, he – I would – I would take him over Kaiser like that right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people would take most quarterbacks over Deshaun Kaiser. What are we going to do about that? I really that don't. I really don't think Deshaun Kaiser is that bad of a quarterback because they were working with him. We he saw had we heard about reviews everywhere he's gone about his work ethic and his physical ability. And when you're talking about the situations that Packers fans actually got to see him in last year, you're talking about a Week One game. And, Under and, the brightest lights he's ever played it in his the, life. Probably the best defense against in the league. Khalil Mack, yeah. who really Deshaun Kaiser was chipping away at that defense, taking him down the field, and it took, you know, a very good play from Khalil Mack. And I don't think you can expect a backup quarterback in the NFL unless he's going to be Brett Favre coming into you know for Don Mikowski, which nobody ever sees coming. I mean, Khalil Mack got the better of him. Can't blame the guy. And so then Rodgers came back in. That's an understandable situation. First game with the team. Biggest lights in the NFL. Sunday Night Football opener. Um, And then in week 17 against the Lions, everybody's banged up. Nobody's playing. Everybody wants to go home. Yes. It was At that point, it wasn't about showcasing Deshaun Kaiser. It was we need to, you know, the rules require that we do something for 60 minutes. Here's the other thing. We thought Mike McCarthy was the quarterback whisperer. And Which wasn't. I never quite understood. I don't I don't like building guys up based on one thing that they do right. Yeah. And so the only evidence, literally the only evidence of Mike McCarthy, the quarterback whisperer that we had, was Aaron Rodgers. Because a lot of people thought that he slipped for a reason and that in the times that he played he was fragile and he was getting hurt. And, you know, this guy's, you know, he's he's he'll never be anything close to Brett Favre. And so when that panned out, everyone assumed Mike McCarthy, the quarterback whisper, he's this offensive guru. But really, so he worked on Jeff Garcia. That's what is that that's what yeah. he worked with in San Francisco well, we before we, we realized instead of coaching Alex Kaiser, Smith, he was right? getting massages. So I mean right. you know, so who did he whisper who did he develop? I don't um, I don't think it's safe to say that. Um the backup Undley? the Raiders. Flynn? Flynn. Matt Flynn. He didn't develop him. He couldn't win anywhere else. I know that. Um, so I don't yeah, I don't get down with that whole philosophy. Um, same reason, you know, 
Ted Thompson isn't a great GM because he drafted Aaron Rodgers. You know, that's a pick a lot of people could have made in that situation. He's a really good well, GM because he also brought in Charles Woodson and Ryan Pickett and built the defense and drafted B.J. Raji and drafted the match. There's a track record there of him succeeding. However, though, as we're finding out now, and I think we're going to find out in the next month here when they do the Hall of Fame dinner, is that Ted Thompson is – he should have been – either forced out or retired He's out. not doing good. No, he's not doing good physically and who knows or how much mentally. Yeah. yeah. So there was some issues there, which – and I think this is why we're seeing Murphy in the position he is now because I think he was too busy building toboggan hills and doing all this <laughs> other stuff. Which I don't and, care about. And As somebody from Wisconsin, well, it makes and me 0% I, more I, interested. I think, I think he heard the whispers of, like, the, what the hell was – was going on and why didn't Murphy know about this? Yeah. And I think that's why he's he's out there in front. He's he's getting his photos with the coaches and I'm gonna we're gonna get we're gonna fix this thing because he knows it's his ass. And, and I it's think it's gonna be he he's gonna be the one to blame. He's gonna take the fall. And I think there was a respect factor there too. There was involving Ted right. because that was his guy. Right. That was the you know, that was his guy. And he really as we mentioned, you know, there's a long list of things that Ted Thompson did right. A long list. It wasn't until those like last two years that you can really confidently say, I mean, what was what was the worst pick in the Ted Thompson heyday? Maybe taking Brian Brom in the second round. I was for that. I and saw I liked that him. kid. I like Brian Brom. I, I was... thought he was going to be good. That was probably the worst pick that he had. Aside from but Justin Harrell, I can't blame that. I it wasn't until he got around to like 2012 and he started taking Derek Sherrod and then, Demarius Randles. Uh, then it starts to get a little bit dicey. Yeah, but but those first five years on the job, that dude was a rock. Everything a of, he touched turned to but gold. Who was really critical? There were some people that were critical of some of those picks, but a lot of people, uh, yeah, sure. We were, everybody was talking themselves into it because, well, he's Ted Thompson. We got to give him some respect, right? But I guess it was frustrating from the point of view of, uh, of just. Well, I, I it, it's it's in the past. Yeah, you know? I mean that was then. If you if you if you take the pulse of the NFL, nobody's gonna feel sorry for Packer fans for only winning one Super Bowl. Yeah, not a chance. Because there's, I talked to other people. As I've gotten older, a lot of people hate Packers fans. Uh, nah. In this territory. If you're not a Packer fan and you live here, it is allegedly miserable. It yes. is a miserable existence. Yeah. Well, there is, and we've become a bit like, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say Cubs fans, but there is, no, there's a lot of people like the Packers. I think the Packers are. Are, are a wildly popular team overall. Yeah. and But I think there is a little bit of rust on, on the G. A little, little stale now. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be an interesting season. Anthony, I certainly appreciate you filling in for Jeff. I appreciate you having me. And uh, always a lot of fun. Look forward to doing this again, and you're always welcome. And uh, we thank everybody who uploads and listens to the show, and we will be doing probably another show in August when it's a lot warmer than it is now. Maybe we can do it from a golf course. I don't August golf. Do you golf? Yes, Okay. I golf at least once a year, and we're doing our, our – <laughs> I don't even mini-golf once a year. Are you not a celebrity golfer? I am not a celebrity golfer. You are going to be this year. I am? Yeah, you're going to be – yes, I'll talk to Parker. You're oh. going to be – you're, you're on the air much more than I am. 
Yeah, well, and someone's got to someone's got to push all these buttons here. I always feel I always feel guilty about when uh, people are like, oh, "Okay, your celebrity golfer is Steve Zotke." Oh boy, yeah. Oh, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, they surprisingly a lot of people know. So I I always I always a used lot to of, joke with Sparky. A lot of our fan listeners, they really are. They are all in. Yeah. They they're at least familiar with every single show and the people on them at this station. They really are. You know, we screen calls all the time. The real diehards. Have you had the people come to up everything. to you and say, "Oh yeah, listen to your thing." I've... No, I'm very I'm a very understated person. I'm not very showy. I don't bring it up. You know, like there were there was a point like I was working here for a while and it just didn't come up in conversation with people that I worked here and they were like, Wait a second. That's you? I was like, I've yeah. had a couple of that. Well, oh, you're Steve Zotke. Or, yeah, I was like, that's you? Like they were listening to or the they station. Read my stuff on, they um, were listening yeah. to the station and me on the station and knew me independently and never put two and two together. What's weird is write a book. Oh. And then be in autograph lines because I was in a couple <laughs> autograph lines with some drivers in that up at Road America. Yeah, and you have people coming up and then they want you to sign your their poster with the the drivers. I'm like I'm you know and I, I was with my, me and my buddy uh, Mike from Seattle. He wrote a book too, so they have these you know old time drivers and we're all signing and then me and, and Mike are on the end. And we're like, no, 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 we're, we're just have them sign it. We're just here selling our book. And would you like a book? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. Okay. We'll sign you the book. A lot of them are like, no, 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 sign our poster. So <laughs> somewhere in some, you know, rec room somewhere, there's some Road Steve's, America posters with Steve's, Steve's Archaeautograph. Yeah. They're waiting to cash in for when you make it big or when I die. So <laughs> oh, that's a little morbid. You've been listening to the Green and Go podcast then and now. Thank you for listening. And remember, Tim Lewis, who's still around, who was he was the defensive coordinator on the Pittsburgh Steelers for many years. And let's see, where is Tim Lewis doing now? Just before we go, you're thinking, uh, if you want, you can stop listening. But <laughs> Oh, don't Tim stop Lu- listening. Tim Lewis, stuff. look him up, though. One of the great guys, Tim Lewis. Because I'm curious to him now. Tim Lewis. Now we have dead air. Uh, let's see here. Tim Lewis. American football coach. Oh, no. He's not. He's not kicking. No, he is kicking. Oh. But he was uh, He was the head coach for the Birmingham Iron. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I didn't even put two and two together. I remember watching that and talking about how that guy used to play. That's right. I forgot about so that. So he is available. He is available. Maybe yes. we could get him. Maybe you could get him on the podcast. I'm sure he'll be. Uh, I'm knowing him. I'm sure he'll be in a camp. You think he listens to the podcast? No. We could get him on. No. I'm sure we could get him. I think he's been on the big show. I, you know, he would be. Gary next, probably has his number. I think. Or Leroy, one of the two. Uh, as you get closer. How did we not have that guy on when the AAF started? Yeah, Tim Lewis would have been good. I wonder See, if he got his is, last. No, he didn't get his last check, did he? I don't think he got any checks. He might not have got his first check. That's uh, that's frustrating. I now, really wanted that to work. What did you got? Did you? I watched the first week. It was really bad. I didn't think it was that bad, it but was really it bad wasn't. Football. It wasn't appointment TV. But if you're flipping through the channel, that's what it was for me. It was like a lazy Sunday, Saturday, yeah. and not a lot going on. I was like, yeah, let's do right. this. Watch a little bit. But I got, I'm you know, not I got emails to reply time. to or whatever. Pay. I got bills to pay. I'll just put it on, sit at the desk. And right. You're not grabbing chips and dip and, oh, boy. You, you know, got to sit down. Got, yeah. No. San Diego it's... Fleet and 
Utah Stallions or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see now how how the XFL works. The XFL seems to have all the rules right, right, but probably not the brand. Well, I know, and I and I thought, you know, why two? But and I understand they were trying to be affiliated, and I I think I I think think it works if it there is an affiliation. I think the NFL, and I'm not, you know, trying to pass myself off as you know, some sort of savant or smartest guy in the room. I just really don't understand how the NFL, with the monolithic economic entity that they are, have not figured out a way to start their own developmental league because they they hold all the cards. They can kill the college football machine and just start raking in even more millions of dollars with affiliate uh, teams in all these small markets in San Antonio, in Birmingham, in Orlando. They could just be reeling in this cash if they decide they want to do it, and they refuse to. That is interesting because uh, it's a huge profit machine I mean, for the, the NFL. NFL they're Europe, just throwing that money away. They're just I, letting the NCAA do it. I was really surprised that they let the NFL Europe die because it was a viable league. I thought. And I thought there so was, too. They I was were a big bringing Hamburg, in players. Sea uh, Devils fan. <laughs> Did you have a hat? <laughs> no, no. Uh, but the the best thing that ever came out of uh, NFL Europe, J.T. O'Sullivan. Yes. It's the only player I can uh, name. There was a few more I think more Kurt than Warner that, might have played there. Well, I knew him with the uh, – knew of – you know, I don't remember him in the Packers. But, yeah, me neither. Uh, I remember that day when um, uh, he screwed up his knee uh, for the Rams. Trent Green? Trent Green. And I remember laughing at Dirk Vermeil <laughs> going, <laughs> You're this, screwed. This guy? Come on. I didn't even know he was in the Packers camp. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, Dick. Come on. You're just Dick Vermeil. And I, with, I, and I remember do... I get teased. We we did we had a fantasy football uh, fantasy football uh, league, and it was one of those where we didn't draft or we didn't do a redraft for the first two weeks. So the, the, the rosters were locked for the first two weeks, and then week three we had a big, like, free agent. You pick up your yeah. free agent. I had the first pick. I passed because oh. I needed a wide receiver. Sure. I picked up. I could you can't go his building name. your team around the kid wide from the Chiefs. I picked backs. a wide receiver from the Chiefs, and the guy picked second. Picked. What year was this? I can't even Warner. tell you. That would have been '99. Eddie Kennison wasn't there yet, was no. he? No. Uh, I'll I'll find out. Okay, hold on, guys. I'll get <laughs> I love this. this. You gotta give me give me some more nuggets of from the draft this year. Johnny Lee Morton, he wasn't in the NFL yet, was he? No. Who else? I'm trying to think of a Kansas City Chiefs uniform. Dante Hall was not there yet, nope. I don't think. Journeyman. Hmm. Journeyman. Head coach Gunther Cunningham. Really? Wow. It would have been Derek Alexander. Ah, Number 82. Yeah, that backfired Steve for Steve picks Derek Alexander, and I think it was Al Vey picks Kurt Warner. Steve just lost <laughs> the league. Oh. All right, thank you for listening to the Green and Gold podcast. We'll talk to you in August.